Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 6 and 7. Bobby McFerrin wrote a song in 1988 and the song deals with a problem that everyone in our society has to deal with almost every day and the song goes like this here's a little song that I wrote you might want to sing it note for note don't worry be happy. The landlord says the rent is late. He might have to litigate. Don't worry. Be happy. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry. Be happy. In every life we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. There's a lot of truth said in that song, isn't there? A lot of truth. But are the words of that song biblical truth? Not really. Because that's the way the world deals with worry. That's the way the world deals with anxiety. They try to push their anxieties out of their mind and then they deal with the problem on their own. But the problem is, many Christians try to do the same thing. They know it's a sin to worry, so they push the worries out of their mind, and then they try to walk around with a Christian smile. But we know that doesn't work, right? Because many of us, all of us, have spent sleepless nights worrying, right? So how does a person gain control over a heart that's filled with anxiety? Well, this morning, we're going to look at a very practical passage, and we're going to see how this passage is not some pie-in-the-sky teaching, but that eternal life is not something for the future, but it's a present reality. We'll see that God has promised us that we can have peace in the midst of life's trials. So look with me. This is the word of God, Philippians 4, verse 6. Well, we'll start in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The first thing that we're going to look at is the prohibition to worry. Notice the first part of the verse. It says, do not be anxious for anything. 
The word here, anxious, in the Greek is in the imperative mood. And it means it's a command from God not to worry. The word translated um, from the English to worry is, can be worry, anxiety, concern, or care. So how do we know the difference between being concerned for something and worry? Because the Bible teaches us to be concerned. Philippians 2.20, right here in this book, teaches uh, that Timothy was to have the same concern for the Philippians as Paul did. In 1 Corinthians 12.25, we're told that we should be concerned for one another. Proverbs 16.9 says that we should plan for the future. So God tells us we need to be concerned for others, we need to plan for the future, but he also commands us not to worry. So how do we know the difference? Well, I've told you this once before. Life is like a tennis court, right? God's on one side, you're on the other. And when the ball comes across the net on your side, you're to do everything within your responsibility to hit the ball back over the net. Um, But once the ball goes over the net, your responsibility is complete, it's finished. But the problem is, many times what we do is after we hit the ball over the net, we go and lean on the net and we tell God how to hit the ball. Either that or we jump over the net and we try to hit the ball for God as if we could do that. Um, And how we do that is with vain speculation. We start saying, what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? Um... And you can, uh, you can do that by asking the question, what if? Let me illustrate that a little step further. Let's say you have a 16-year-old, and the 16-year-old wants to drive for the first time one night. And so you have prepared this young person by sending them to driver's training. They completed that. They're morally responsible You've told them you want them to go out, you want them to call you by 9 p.m., you want them home by 11, you pray for them, and you send them off on their way. You've done everything within your responsibility to hit the ball over the net. The problem is, is when the child doesn't call you at 9 p.m., right? What's the temptation then to do? To lean on the net and start asking, what if? What if Johnny's got into a wreck, right? What if Johnny's picked up a friend and the friend's given him some beer and he started drinking and driving? See, all the what-ifs happen, and what you have done at that point is you've jumped the net. You have gone from the responsibilities of proper planning and care to the sin of worry. Worry is when we are full of anxiety, harassing care, or tending to brood over things. Worry, listen to this, one writer says this, worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and providence of God. Let me say that again. Worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and providence of God. The English term for worry comes from the German word, and I love this, to, it, it says to mean to strangle or to choke. So what that means is 
it strangles out any thought of God or any thought of faith. And then we spend much time in fear and inactivity due to our anxiety. One writer says this about worry. He says, worry is not a trivial sin because it strikes a blow at God's love and God's integrity. Worry declares our Heavenly Father to be untrustworthy in His word and His promises. To avow belief in the inerrancy of Scripture and in the next moment to express worry is to speak out of both sides of our mouth. Worry shows that we are mastered by our circumstances and by our finite perspectives and understanding rather than by God's word. Worry is therefore not only debilitating and destructive, but it maligns and impugns God. You know, most of the time, we don't listen to things like that. What we do is we minimize the sin of worry by saying, ah, it's just a personality weakness. You know, it's just something I struggle with, instead of calling it sin. Notice the, the next part of this verse. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. It, look, look at what it says. It says, be anxious for nothing. What it's saying is, there's no problem in our life that's large enough that we need to worry. Because God is larger than any problem that we have. One man in the Old Testament who didn't worry about probably anything was Potiphar. You all know the story of Potiphar and Joseph in Genesis 39. Joseph is taken captive by Potiphar. He's a slave in Potiphar's household because Joseph's brother, out of jealousy, sell, sell him into slavery. So he ends up in Potiphar's house, and everything that Joseph does is blessed by God. So Potiphar sees this and says, well, let me put Joseph over everything, because I'll be blessed then. So he does. And guess what happens? He's blessed, right? And Potiphar doesn't have to worry about anything. In fact, it says in Genesis 39, 6, that he didn't concern himself about anything except the food he ate. He only had to worry about getting the fork from point A to point B. You know, that's a struggle, right? But any one of you, if you owned your own business, would give your right arm, would give your right arm to have a manager like Joseph, who you could put in charge of everything, you could leave for six months and come back and know that everything was good. Joseph was honest, hardworking, and doing well for his boss. Now, what would you think of Potiphar if after seeing all of this with Joseph, how he was prospering him in every way possible, if he walked around and followed Joseph and second-guessed him in all of his decisions? What would you think of Potiphar? You would think he's crazy, wouldn't you? But you know what? We do something much worse. We follow around somebody who is much greater than Joseph. He is the creator of the universe. He is the sustainer of life. He is in control of everything in our lives. And he is our heavenly father who cares for every one of our needs. 
And many times what we do is we follow him around and we question what he's doing in our lives. In fact, there are some spiritual things that we think it's okay to worry about. You know, like a family member's salvation or a family member's physical safety or God's kingdom work or a future mate or grades in college or maybe your football teams, your favorite football team's unbeaten record. You know who I'm talking about, right? Right? The Miami Dolphins, of course. They're 3-0. and But there's something to worry about because they're playing New England today. But I was a little worried for uh, another team yesterday, but, you know, they did all right. But there are things, not football, but there are things that we think are okay to worry about. You know, spiritual things. And I remember 25 years ago, when I was in seminary, I thought it was okay to worry about my calling. You see, I was a little concerned. I was in my second year of seminary. I was 35 years old, around that age. And I started wondering, did God really call me to this? Or was this just me, you know, doing my own thing? So I I became concerned about that. And I was wondering, am I headed down the wrong path? And how, if I am on the wrong path, how am I going to provide for my family? So it was a real concern. And my focus was on myself, and I had lost the joy of my salvation. I was worrying, I was filled with unbelief, and I I wasn't ministering to those around me. Now, what was I to do in a situation like that? Well, the world tells you, stop worrying. Put it out of your mind. Don't worry. Be happy, right? They tell you to move on. But you know what? That's not only bad theology. That's bad psychology. Because when you push worries out of your mind, what happens? They come back, don't they? They come back with a vengeance. So pushing them aside doesn't help. The world also tells you, Don't be concerned, it probably will never happen. The problem with that is what? It could possibly happen. Even if it's a 1% chance, that's why we worry. Because there's a 1% chance that it might happen. So when gripped in anxiety's clutches, it doesn't help to tell a person that it may never happen. Well, the final advice the world tells you to do is it says, don't worry, because it's a waste of time, and it doesn't help anybody. Has anybody ever heard that one? Don't worry, it's a waste of time. But you know what? All these psychological, common-sense ways of dealing with anxiety sound really good at first, but they fail to see the power of the heart and the mind when it comes to worry. Once your heart is gripped with worry, these common sense methods fail miserably. So what is a person to do? Well, look at the second part of this verse. It says, be anxious for nothing, but then there's the conjunction but, the contrast, but in everything. Notice that, 
everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known to god so so here we see the promotion of prayer um notice the strong contrast here it's saying instead of worrying about everything take everything to god in prayer first peter 5 7 says the same thing it says cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you how do you cast your anxieties upon him through prayer now many of you may be thinking tried that mark been there been worried tried to pray and didn't work in fact what i did was started worrying in my prayers so it got worse so what are you to do with that well Look at the word order of this verse. It's not here by happenstance. It's not here by chance. It's not here for beauty or style. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit how we should pray. And notice the first word is prayer. The, The general word for prayer, it means to worship or for adoration. So we don't come to God and just blurt out our problems. We come to him in worship and we worship him according to for his power you know there's no problem too large for our god because he's all powerful for his sovereignty that there's nothing that happens to you in life by accident that he's omnipresent that he's always with you and never will forsake you well the next thing we do after that after worshiping him is we bring our petitions to God. And petitions are not just some general prayer. It's a supplication or a request of God to fulfill our needs. Listen to what one writer says. He says, In other words, prayer is not a desperate cry in the dark, nor some frantic appeal to God without any real thought. No, we must first realize and recollect that we worship a blessed and glorious God We worship first, and then we make our request known. Well, finally, it says that we should mix our prayers with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving reveals to God our faith in Him. Thanking God in advance for our prayers, even though our prayers aren't even answered yet. We're we're telling God we trust Him. You know, many times when we have a trial in our lives, we don't come with thanksgiving we instead come with a grudge we say why did you allow this to happen to me god why why did you allow this to happen to me again martin lloyd jones says this if while we pray to god we have a grudge against him in our hearts we have no right to expect that peace of god will keep our heart and our minds If we go on our knees feeling that God is against us, we may as well get up and go out. No, we must approach him with thanksgiving. There must be no doubt to God's goodness, the goodness of God in our hearts. Well, how does that work practically in your life? Well, you remember I told you that I was worried about my calling. And what I was doing at that time was I was doubting the goodness of God in my heart. I was filling my heart with thoughts that were unworthy of God. You know, I was thinking that life was like a maze, 
and that I was trying to find God's will. Notice I was trying to find God's will, and I was bumping up into dead ends in this maze. Like God was trying to hide his will from me, which he wasn't. So I came to God. I remember being in the middle of Orlando traffic on the way to seminary. And I was just in despair. And I remember praying. And I remember thanking God for the problem. And then confessing my sins, as 1 John 1, 9 says. And then I asked God a specific request. I said, show me. Show me that I was called. And, and he did, right there in the middle of Orlando traffic. It was, it was really cool. And I remember just thinking that God is the one who gave me the desire to go to seminary. And he is the one that gave the church the recognition of my gifts and my calling. And he is the one who provided for all our needs while I was in seminary. You know, how could I ever doubt my Heavenly Father's guidance? And after that, I remember having such a sense of peace and joy, even in the middle of Orlando traffic. Look at verse 7. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now notice what it doesn't say there. It doesn't say that God is, is going to change your circumstances. Most of the time he doesn't. Now sometimes he does, but most of the time he doesn't change your circumstances. What he changes is you. He changes you in the midst of your trial. And I remember when I was working in Florida, when I used to drive to the church, I used to drive along the intercoastal waterway. And in the morning time, the water would be just still. And I'd be driving along, and I'd always come to a place where there were sailboats anchored right offshore. And I'd look at the sailboats, and, you know, pastors and preachers always think of illustrations. I was looking at them, and I'm thinking, that is a perfect picture of peace. Seeing sailboats anchored, the water like glass, the, the boats reflecting in the water, and I thought, wow. That's peace. And then I drove a little bit further, and my mind went, no, that's not peace. That's not peace. You know what peace is? Peace is a, is a storm at sea and a boat on the Sea of Galilee with the waves crashing over the bow and Jesus asleep on a pillow in the back of the boat. That is peace. And that's the peace that God promises us in life's storms. In life's storms. Turn with me to Psalm 3. In closing, I want you to look at Psalm 3. Psalm 3 is a, is a psalm about David's struggle, King David's struggle, when his son Absalom is trying to take over the kingdom. It's a coup. Can you imagine your son, your son trying to take over your kingdom? Can you imagine 
your son trying to kill you and chasing you through the wilderness. That's what David was going through. And in this psalm, he's hiding in a cave from his son. And he's got his men around him, his soldiers around him. And, and look at what it says. It says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. What, what's that saying is, many of his men around him were saying, there's no deliverance for you. So what's, what's David's response to them? Well, he says this, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and here he is praying now, like Philippians. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. And listen, look at this. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I was not a... Listen, look, look at what it says there in verse 5. He lay down and slept. Can you imagine? Your son is chasing you to kill you. You're in a cave. He's probably sleeping on a rock. And he's sleeping. What's that show? He wasn't filled with anxiety, was he? He was trusting his God. I woke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation, and here he praises God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be upon your people. How are you doing in the trials of life? Do you have the peace of God, or are you filled with anxiety? Are you trying to push away the worries out of your mind and trying to just handle them on your own? Instead, turn to God in prayer, and what he promises you, that he will give you the peace of God and enable you to sing the song that says, Stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised, perfect peace and rest. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the promises in your word that we can trust you in the midst of all of life's storms, 